Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 183, and I'm talking with Kimberly Truesdell. This is a really special and cool episode of the podcast. I was so honored that Kim came on the podcast to share her story, and I feel like I have the best job in the world that I can be on the other side of conversations like this. Kim is a writer. She's the mom of two. She's a marketing professional by day. She's a runner, and she is a Hoosier. She's from Ohio, but she lives in Indiana now, which I take a lot of pride in the state of Indiana. You all might know that. And so it was really fun to talk to another Hoosier. She has lost over 110 pounds, which is a big part of her story. In this episode of the podcast, she shares with us about her childhood. We get to learn about her journey to learning how to live a healthy lifestyle. She shares with us some really personal and emotional pieces of her life with her mother and her grandmother. I'm going to let her tell that story. It's not mine to tell, it's hers. And I'm just so honored that I got to be the person she shared this with to then share it with all of you. So thank you, Kim, for being so honest and being such an encourager for others and being honest about everything we talked about. You guys can find Kim on social media over on Instagram. She is foot.notes. Before we get started talking with Kim, I want to tell you guys about an event coming up across seven cities this fall. This is the Susan G. Komen three-day. So this fall across seven cities, Detroit, Twin Cities, New England, Seattle, Philadelphia, San Diego, and Dallas, you can help join the fight against breast cancer at the Susan G. Komen three-day. If you've been listening to this podcast for any time at all, you probably know that breast cancer research is very important in my life. I take it pretty seriously. And you can commit to an event like this for those you love, maybe someone you know who just got diagnosed, someone going through treatment, people who have survived, those you've lost. There's lots of reasons to get behind an event like this. And at this three-day event, you'll walk 60 inspiring miles so future generations don't have to. So I encourage you, if you're looking to get involved in the fight against breast cancer, to visit the3day.org to learn more and register. The three-day is sure to change your life and save so many more. So commit to three days at the3day.org. Now that's the number three day.org. I'll have a link to that in the show notes over at lindsayhine.com. If you are enjoying this podcast and you've been enjoying it, or you this is your first episode and you enjoy this episode, I would appreciate it so much if you would consider leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. It's truly one of the best ways new listeners can find us. And let me give a shout out to one of my most recent reviews. Serendipitous find is what it says. This is OBOE boy found this podcast after my favorite American distance runner posted. He had been interviewed for Boston, loved her enthusiasm and applicable interviewing style added bonus. Apparently she's local. Oh, nice. Indiana. Hello. Thank you so much for that review. I'm assuming he's talking about Scott when Scott Fobble was on the show. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to my episode with Scott. It's one of my very favorites. He was episode 178. All right, friends, 
Thanks so much for being here. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kimberly Truesdell. Well, today on the podcast, we have Kim Truesdell joining us. Welcome to the show, Kim. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am pumped. I've been following you on Instagram for a while. And actually, you are an Indiana person. Yeah, I live not too far from you, about two hours in the northeast corner in Fort Wayne. You know, it's funny. I tell people this the first time I ever went to Fort Wayne. I I went to Fort Wayne for a John Cougar Mellencamp concert, okay? (laughs) Yes, definitely. Very Hoosier. Right. And I was like, oh, Fort Wayne's actually a big city. Like, there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah, I kind of call it, it's a big, small town, so we still have the small Indiana feel, but I've lived here for about 14 years, and it's grown exponentially, so we have all the things you need, um, but still kind of a really great, tight-knit community. Okay, and I say that, like, I have this, I feel like I have this bratty mentality that if you're going to live in Indiana, like, Indianapolis is the big city, but that's not true. Uh, Tell me this, though, if you have everything you need, do you have a Trader Joe's? Okay, no, we do not. Um, I would be so grateful if Trader Joe's moved, um, brought a location, and I'm missing a few of my favorite athletic gear stores. So we do make it down to Indianapolis every couple months to go to the Children's Museum and go shopping at Keystone. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so let's let's hear about your story. You're the mom of two. You've got two. You're boy boy mom, right? Boy mom, I have a seven-year-old Miles and then a four-year-old Silas. So my oldest is in school and then my youngest goes to daycare. And so I've been married for 10 years to my husband, Mark. And we kind of just have what I consider to be your average Midwest life. He's a teacher and I'm a content writer for um, a manufacturer here in Fort Wayne. Where am I getting uh, the YMCA thing, though? Do you do the facilitator for the year-long program? Is that a separate thing? That is a separate thing. So okay. for a couple years, I was freelancing, um, and I worked at the Y as a group fitness instructor, personal trainer, and then I was also a facilitator for some of the special programs, including a cancer survivor program, and then I still um, work part-time for the YMCA facilitating a weight loss program, and it's a very cool program. We target people who are in an underserved area. They live in a food desert and they get a year long membership and we meet the way other weight loss groups do uh, about twice a month. But we're kind of providing information to people who might not have access to it. Okay. I want to get to the heart of why you do what you do with that program. So Let's walk back to your story. Can you tell everybody what your life was like growing up and ultimately what led to a huge weight loss story of you losing over 100 pounds and just totally changing your lifestyle? Yeah. So I grew up in Cincinnati. Uh, I kind of describe my childhood was chaotic at best and turbulent at worst, you know, uh, I've seen kids who have had really challenging childhoods and mine was not like that, Mm -hmm. but it was definitely hard for me. And, uh, growing up, one of the hard parts was, is that my mom was very overweight from the time I remember her, you know, she was probably over 200 pounds. And by the time I was a teenager, probably over 300. Um, and then kind of the 
cutting to the chase, um, she was 600 pounds when she died. And so she died when I was 27 in 2009. And on her death certificate, it says that she died of morbid obesity. Mm. And so when that happened, I really had to take a look at myself and see what was happening. Growing up, I had played sports, but not, I was never talented. I wasn't an athlete. I just kind of participated in things recreationally. So I played softball and I played volleyball, but I was never on like what I would call the A team. Um, But it was just something fun that I did. But like exercise was not really like a part of our lives, you know, so I was kind of chubby as a kid. And then by the time I was graduating high school, I was a size 18. So definitely what by medical standards now considered obese. And then when I got to college, I got up to 235 pounds. Um, And so I had tried to make some changes in that time. You know, I would lose weight, I would gain it, I would exercise at the rec center, but then, you know, college life kind of distracts you. So um, by the time I kind of, I hit my heaviest weight about my first year out of college and I was about 245, 250. And so um, I had started to make some changes, try to um, revamp my life and exercise, but it was still really hard to just kind of keep going you know, you would hit a certain point, it would be like, okay, I can relax a little bit. And then the weight would come back on. So when my mom died, I really looked in the mirror and I was mad at her because throughout my childhood, I was really aware that her weight was not healthy. And I don't, I don't think back then that you saw the statistics of what being that heavy could really do to you. You didn't see things like my 600 pound life Mm -hmm. or, the prevalence in the news, but I was just always very cognizant that what you, her lifestyle, so to speak, was not healthy. Um, and so, you know, I had accepted early on that she would die young, but like when I looked in the mirror and I was mad at her for all those changes she didn't make, I realized like, I'm kind of following that same path. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was like, you got to do something. Yeah. Let me ask you this then. Um, I'm just thinking through your mom and her dealing with this her entire life. How much of this do you think is like nature versus nurture? You know, the cards you're dealt like genetics and what you're predisposed to. And then my other question is like the term obesity, like, I feel like as someone who's never struggled with that in my life, I'm scared to use that word. So clarify like political correctness on that and everything too. Okay. So um, like the term obesity, I kind of struggle with as well because it can say that once you hit a certain BMI, you're obese Mm -hmm. and you can look at a bodybuilder who's 6% body fat and they are, you know, um, considered obese, which is just insane. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it is like a good baseline probably for, um, the general population. But I think what one of the struggles is, is that because of the prevalence of obesity in America and our society that we look at somebody and we go, they're normal, Mm. but by medical standards, they're considered obese. And so there's a fine line where you recognize that maybe there are some health risks by, weighing a certain, having a certain weight, but then just being 
you know, a regular person. And so I really struggle, I think, to label somebody as obese um, until you kind of hit that morbid obesity, which is a higher BMI, a higher threshold for weight. Okay. So um, morbid obesity is there, there is like a technical medical standard for that? Yes. Okay. And so my mom was actually like, when you're talking about a medical standard, she was considered super morbidly obese. So at that point, her BMI was so high that like, you're kind of off the charts. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and then talk about the, the, you know, what's handed down to you genetically and how that factors into how you had to control, you know, you had to control what you were going to do with your life. And you kind of saw what was happening and what happened to your mom. Like you had this decision, but do you think it was harder for you than the average person? I think there is obviously an, you know, role of genetics. I mean, growing up, I kind of always felt like, and when I use this term, I don't want anyone to get upset, but this sure. is just the term I use in my head. I was always destined to be fat. Like mm -hmm. I looked at my family members. Obviously my mom was very heavy. My grandmother carried around extra weight. You know, no one in my family looked what we would consider skinny. And so it was just like, okay, this is me. Um, I also have a younger brother who, you know, has struggled with his weight as well. Uh, I do think that it's harder partially because of the nurture aspect mm -hmm. that you're growing up surrounded by foods and learning to like foods that aren't what 2019 considers healthy. Mm -hmm. So you have all these ingrained habits um, where you know, certain foods just taste really good. I mean, I remember Friday nights, my parents would go out to dinner, but before they would go out to dinner, they would go through the drive through at McDonald's. And so even, you know, in middle school, I was eating a full size McDonald's extra value meal, you know, and that just was normal. Mm, okay. um, you know, my mom and dad both worked um, a lot, sometimes two jobs to make ends meet. And so sometimes dinner was Lee's chicken. And so you know, it was extra crispy and you're learning, wow, extra crispy chicken tastes really good. Um, so I think that's one of the huge barriers to overcome. But, you know, I think that, you know, you're fighting nature a little bit. But when I finally hit that point, I had um, someone say, well, don't put that limit on yourself. You can say, well, you know, my family's this way. So maybe I'll just be happy at this weight. You know, maybe that's just okay for me. And this person said, don't set yourself up to just be, to stop at a certain place. Why can't you do something beyond what you thought? And so, you know, there might be that element of nature, but I just choose not to recognize it all the time. Yeah. So your mom dies and where are you emotionally in your life? Have you met your husband yet? How do you get through that grieving process? Because how old are you now? I am 38. I had to think real hard about it. <laughs> so it's been 11 years. So you've had time to process. and Yes. Yeah, so my husband and I had only been married for about three years, three months at that point. Oh, wow. So we are very new in our marriage. And my mother and I had struggled a lot um, in the months leading up to her death. We had only had about two months where we were, we had about two months where we weren't talking at all. And so it was only the month before she died, that we are actually back on speaking terms. So I had some challenges there. And then, um, 
you know, the grieving process was hard, but I think there were, I was prepared for it because this, um, to kind of give you a little more background, um, I had received a call from my grandma that my mom's heart had stopped Mm. and I kind of hung up on the, hung up with her. I was on my way to work. I worked night shift at a newspaper and I'm just like, Oh, my mom's heart stopped. I'm going to go to work. And then I was like, your mom's heart stopped. Like, what are you doing? And so I was living in Fort Wayne at the time. My family's in Cincinnati. They live. So that's about three hours away. And so I called my boss and they made the drive. And so when I got to the hospital, my mom was in a medically induced coma and her body was so full of fluid that it had basically drowned. Mm. And the ambulance was able, EMT workers were able to revive her. But in the end, we as a family chose to remove care. And so you had kind of gone through a lot of the emotions um, of sadness in those kind of two weeks prior. And so following her death, there was a lot of anger and frustration because I just kept looking back at the time that she told me, I'm going to lose the weight this time. I'm going to lose 100 pounds this year. I'm going to join the gym and keep going. And it's like, why didn't you do it? Just, you know, if you didn't want to do it for yourself, couldn't you have done it for me? Mm, Because I felt like I was new in my marriage. Like you're thinking about babies. And I don't think there's ever a time where you don't want your mom or you don't need your mom. I could have been mad at her and not spoken to her for two months, but I still wanted her there. And so it was that anger and frustration afterwards that was really hard. So were you already on a weight loss journey yourself when this happened? Yes. So when I moved to Fort Wayne in um, 2004, I had just gone through kind of a long-term breakup. And I was like, this move is going to be the right thing for me. So I was at my heaviest weight and I I lost 50 pounds. And it was awesome. I was under 200 pounds. I could shop in what I called the regular person section. I could go to Old Navy and find clothes. And then I would lose 20 pounds and then I would gain it. And I would lose 20 and I would gain 20. And so because of the wedding, I had gotten down a little bit. But then through the stress of her death and everything, I kind of put on 20 pounds. And I was getting closer to that 200-pound mark. And it for somebody who has not been there, it can be, it's hard to imagine, but that number is just so terrifying. And I just never wanted to be that number again. And so, uh, it was really hard for me at that point. Can we tell how tall are you? I am five foot three, so I am not very tall at all. Yeah. We're not talking about someone who's five, nine and weighing 200. No, Yeah. no. So at my frame, um, about 200 pounds, I'm close to an size 18, size 20. Okay. Okay. So you start running at some point. When does this start happening? So I kind of, my mother died in March. And then I would say about July, August is kind of when I was ready to start making those changes that start, things started to click for me. And we had actually inherited her dog. She, Mm -hmm. we took her seven month old Siberian husky. Oh gosh, seven months. (laughs) Yeah. It was insane. That is a puppy. Thankfully, he was already potty trained because I've had enough of that with my own kids. I don't need it with a dog. But um, so I was walking him in my neighborhood and I would walk him maybe half an hour. And the next week I was trying to walk him 40 minutes. And 
as I realized, I was like, this is fine now. It's August, it's September, but this is going to be terrible. Like in winter, I don't want to be outside walking him for an hour, 90 minutes. So in about September, I started the couch to 5k plan Oh, cool! and the dog kind of did it with me. And, um, by the end of November, I remember we have a four mile race on Thanksgiving called the galloping gobbler. And I was really interested in signing up. There was a guy at work who was a runner and was doing it, but I was so scared of kind of embarrassing myself at that point that I didn't want to register. So that Thanksgiving, my husband and I went out and ran our own four mile race with the dog. Okay. I love that. I don't know if that, what this, if this seems important to you, but as a listener of the story, I love that your mom's dog had a part in this. Yeah. It's, it's really funny that that kind of helped motivate me because yeah. I was so committed to exercising this dog. He had been used to kind of playing out in a yard. And at that point we're in an apartment and it was a really good way for me to kind of do what I always thought she should do. Cause I remember going, well, can't you just walk down the block with the dog? Can't yeah. you just, yeah. and so I was doing what I had always hoped she would do. Oh yeah. All right. Talk about your husband's involvement in your whole running weight loss, just like basically healthy lifestyle journey, because it seems like he's a really important piece to this. Most definitely. I could not do it without him. I couldn't have started without him. And then continuing on with all the things I do, I definitely need him now. But wait, how did he, you meet? start there? We went the very old fashioned way on <laughs> an online dating site. Okay. So the story we always told our, my grandma was that we met at Starbucks, but we met on match.com Love and it. we had kind of gone in three dates and then he moved to LA hmm. for seven months to do what? And he was hoping to become a screenwriter. So he had lived in LA before and just wanted to give it one last go. But as he tells the story, we, I didn't expect him to email me after he left, but we continued communicating, talking on the phone this was back in the day when you had to wait until 9 p.m. to use your <laughs> nighttime minutes. <laughs> so, but he eventually moved back and he was always very athletic growing up. He was on the cross country team, you know, enjoyed exercising for fun, which at the time I thought was nuts. <laughs> and so when we were dating, he was really encouraging during my weight loss effort. So one of my favorite memories is we're at a park in Fort Wayne near a very kind of Tony neighborhood and he's running with me and I am just, my shins are killing me because I'm wearing shoes from a department store that I just thought looked cute. <laughs> and he is wearing jeans with no belt and he's trying to hold his jeans up and run with me. <laughs> and just the whole time telling me what a great job I did. Um, so when I was running with the dog, he was very encouraging and was running on his own at that time as well. Just there was a really great out and back that was three miles. And like for him, that was perfect. And as I was kind of incorporating the changes, he really kind of, um, opened up. He at the time was a really picky eater, but he was willing to at least try anything I put on the table that seemed healthy. And then, um, you know, he would come to my races. We, he actually trained for my first half marathon with me and he was the kind of the person who instigated me signing up in the first place. Yeah. Do you feel like running was, the consistency that you needed? Cause you know, you hear people losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, but when they find something they love, that's when like a routine sticks. 
I think that was a big part of it. I realized that I really love training plans. I can be very Uh type A. And so saying, okay, you're doing this today. Great. You're doing that today. Perfect. But I think one of the things that was so important to me is for my entire life, I had always kind of defined myself by the way I looked and my weight. You know, I realized I was kind of the bigger girl in fifth grade. And I think at that point, I started to close myself off and let that limit me. And so running gave me a way to identify myself and create like a new persona, if you will. So I was no longer Kim, the big girl. I was Kim, the girl running. Oh, I love that. Does your husband still run? Nope. What what does (laughs) Um, he do now? So he started with CrossFit, but now he's really into powerlifting. And so he kind of has the opposite problem as I do. So I still struggle to maintain my weight. He struggles to keep weight on. Oh, okay. M- must be nice, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's worked really, really hard and put on about 20 pounds of muscle in the past year and a half. Oh, cool. And so he lifts all kinds of heavy things I can't imagine. Yeah. And, and I just cheer him on. Oh, that's cool. Um, tell us about what... Okay. So how long have you been on this like consistent, this is my healthy lifestyle. Maybe you waffle a little bit on your weight. Numbers aren't what's important, right? It's about like how you feel and being your best self. But like, how long have you been feeling this consistent? This is how we live. I feel like it's been about 10 years. So I always tell people that like from start to finish, it took me about five years to lose the weight. It wasn't a continuous journey. So when I'm meeting with my weight loss group or people ask me, I didn't start losing weight on one day and then just end up a year later Mm -hmm. at a healthy weight. But um, it's probably actually been eight years. So I kind of, I hit my lowest weight uh, right before I got pregnant with my oldest. And so he'll be eight this summer. So I was kind of eight or nine years. Okay. I have a question about the weight thing. I'm, I feel like it's such a sensitive topic and your people are like not allowed to talk about numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. here's an example in my own life. Uh, my last baby I had like nine months ago, you know? Yeah. And he's so cute. Thank you. I am like totally confident in my body and I know I've never struggled with like obesity or anything like that, but like, I know how I feel my best self is if I'm probably about like five to 10 pounds less than I am now. And I know that that'll eventually come. Um, but I feel like in today's world, like the craziness of social media, I'm going to put it out on my podcast, but I won't on Instagram. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel like it wouldn't be okay for me to talk about that because it's not about the numbers, but just like, I know my body so well, I know what feels right for me. Do you know what I mean? But I feel like people are so sensitive about this thing, but sometimes a number can be helpful. And I realized that like, if I were weightlifting, I would weigh more. That's obvious. But you know, like, so I just, I'm curious your thoughts on it as someone who has used numbers as like a barometer to like get to a healthy place. I kind of have been thinking about this. And so numbers are a good measure for most people. Mm. So you mentioned, you know, if you're more muscular or you suddenly decide that powerlifting is your thing, you're going to weigh more, even though you have less body fat. I also struggle with the body positive movement and I probably will catch a lot of flack for it. I want to hear this. (laughs) So 
I think it is so important to love who you are every day, but I don't think that you have to like it every day. So I love my husband every day, but there are days where (laughs) I do not like him. And he knows that. Um, So kind of like with running, we have, you know, a PR, we're happy, we're doing great things, but we still, there are times where we really want to chase down a dream. And I think it's okay to say, I'm fine where I'm at, but I would like to do this. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to say, maybe I would feel better and more confident in myself if I weighed less, you know? Does that mean you have to look emaciated or compete with people on Instagram? No. But when it comes down to how you personally feel, I think that it should be okay to say, I know that maybe I deserve better or even I deserve to feel better about myself. And if this is what it's going to take, then that's okay. Yeah. And another piece to that, which is like totally, I feel like not okay in today's world is like, I also think it's okay to look at a picture of yourself and be like, I don't like how my arm looks in that picture, you know, like, because honestly we'd be lying if we said every time, like, Oh, I don't really care how I look. It's fine because it's like human nature. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the things that people tell you in the way, well, how do your clothes fit? Well, you know, sometimes you might just be bloated, but sometimes a picture is a good frame of reference. And so in the weight loss kind of journey community, you know, they want to see those before and after pictures. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that picture, even for me, can be a visual cue, like, hey, maybe you need to dial it in a little bit or revisit what you're doing. Um, Because kind of one of the things that people don't talk about with weight loss is the maintenance. And so say you and I weighed the same weight. But because you've never been obese, you're going to get to eat more calories in a day than I do. I'm going to have to work harder to maintain that weight because my body remembers weighing more. And I've, I don't want to say I've damaged my metabolism because I don't know the scientific, all that stuff. But the truth of it is, is it's harder and harder to maintain your weight when you've lost a significant amount. And so for me, like sometimes I go, okay, maybe I need to fix a couple things to get back to where I feel confident in myself. Hey friends, I'm going to break in really quick and just let you know that if you are enjoying this podcast, you will likely enjoy the bonus episodes I put out over on my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. I bring back returning guests. I have guests that are on the show do bonus questions sometimes, and I have episodes with my husband, Glenn, as well. The most recent episodes over on my Patreon page include episodes with Jen Bigham, who just qualified for the Olympic trials and the marathon after an eight-year journey to get there, Charlie Watson, who is gunning for a Boston qualifying time at the Edinburgh Marathon this weekend. She's also a returning guest on the show. And then we have bonus questions from Guests like Shalane Flanagan, Kara Goucher, Shanna Burnett, Jordan Hesse, and then some oldies but goodies, Molly Turner, Laura Anderson, Janae Barron, Jessica Hoffheimer, Claire Dietrich. There are so many fun returning guests that have been interviewed over on the Patreon page. And when you support the show over there, you get access to all of that. So head over to patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine to support my work behind the show and also get some bonus content into your feed. 
those episodes can also go directly to your podcast app. So you don't have to listen to it through Patreon. That would be really weird. You just add a new station and copy your specific URL feed to your podcast app. And there you go. Every time I post a new episode, it goes on to Patreon. So again, that's patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. Thanks so much, everybody who is already supporting over there. All right, friends, let's continue my conversation with Kimberly Truesdell. Okay, so talk about growing up in the environment you grew up grew up in with the food type of foods that you guys ate and how you've had to, you really had to teach yourself as an adult how to do this in a healthy way for your own family. And like, how do you dance around this with your kids? Like, I like how you describe this like healthy Midwest kind of thing. Like, but, and you have boys too. Like, let's mention that. Would you think that you'd be more sensitive if you had girls? Like, tell me all the things about this. So growing up, it was all about convenience and, you know, hearty foods. I come from a very big German family. And so it was meat, potatoes, and then a can of vegetables with, I swear, half a stick of margarine melted in it. Mm, like, mm-hmm. I did not know you could eat fresh green beans without butter. Mm. It just was beyond me. So foods that I ate growing up were processed, maybe beef stroganoff, where you're using a box meal kit, um, very quick foods. My mom, my mom could cook, but she was just very busy. You know, there were times where she would come home from work, grab something quick to eat, and then go to a second job. And then the kind of other element was that soda was always around. So my mom would wake up and have a can of soda in the morning or, you know, soda with dinner. And so that was a big kind of part of it. And growing up, my dad, um, stepdad, he's not my biological father, had high cholesterol. And so my mom had to make some cooking changes. But for us, that was doing half ground beef and half turkey. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, let's have a kale salad. Let's, you know, try some quinoa. I don't even know if there's quinoa in the 90s. But... Right, right. <laughs> um, the real hippies, the real hipsters and vegans knew about it in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, definitely not us. Like we are eating Swiss steak and like canned gravy. Yeah. But um, so I definitely had to teach myself to cook. Um And so it was little by little, I definitely had some major fails. There was this time I tried to cook turkey spinach meatloaf and I looked at the recipe and I was like, this isn't right. This isn't right. But we tried it and it's baking and I'm like, oh, this is not right. (laughs) And my husband goes, no, we can't do it. And so we take it out. We try to give it to the dog and even the dog wouldn't eat it. (laughs) And so there was a lot of trial and error. But one of the things I focused on was just like, what are the flavors I'm wanting? So I had a favorite sandwich at, um, a neighborhood pub. And so I tried to identify what do I really like about it Mm. and how can I fix that? And so sometimes it was turning it into a salad or, um, sneaking in vegetables, you know, into something that doesn't ordinarily have it. So pureeing cauliflower into a macaroni and cheese sauce. Um, but with the boys, it's really hard. Um, with my first one, I was like, he's never going to eat hot dogs. He's going <laughs> to eat super healthy. And I'm really lucky that our daycare provider is the hippie. And so she grows all her own vegetables and the kids go out and pick them oh, and help nice. weed. And so my oldest was in daycare eating beets and turnip <laughs> greens, um, and not things that even I cook at home. Right. And so 
Um, I try to have like this balanced approach, like, you know, Midwest is, I think still a lot meat and potatoes. So how can I make that better for my family? Um, so whether that's just again, sneaking vegetables into a mashed potato or at least giving them things to try, you know? Yeah. I like same with my first, I was like, you know, I made all this baby food and I, you know, of course he never went to McDonald's or anything like that. And now it's like, I think we have a pretty healthy balance, but it's hard. I mean, look, there are so many nights where my kids are just eating macaroni or cheese quesadillas and my husband and I are eating like really healthy big salads because they're not going to eat the big salad, but we want to eat the big salad and we want to sit down together as a family though, you know, and sometimes convenience does win, but I'm sure that like this struggle for you is like much more deeply rooted than my struggle. I, I think to an extent. So I try to, I get frustrated because I, my kids already know, okay, this is healthy. This is dessert. And I want them to just enjoy food and enjoy life and not constantly being like, well, I can't have this, but I'll eat something healthy instead. But I think my oldest is aware that I used to be heavier and that it's important for us to be healthy so that we can do certain things Mm -hmm. and enjoy certain physical activities. Uh, They're very lucky. They have my husband's metabolism. So, you know, they're at the lower end of the weight chart. And I'm sure it would be harder for me if I had girls because... For so long, I felt less than, and, you know, it's really hard to get rid of that. I think there are days where I still like, don't remember that I'm good enough. And so I don't want my kids to ever feel that way based on how they look, um, or that they ate something that was wrong. I don't want foods to be good and bad. I kind of try to, especially with my weight loss group, and we're talking about food that we have a good, better, best system. And so something might be good, but is there a better version or is there a best version? And let's choose the best version if you want to enjoy this. And let's just think about what we're putting in our bodies, you know, so we can be our best self. Why, how does your, just, do you think your oldest knows your backstory because of just conversations he's heard you talking and passing or have you like sat down and shared it with them? I, I think part of it is, is, you know, he's aware that he only has one set of grandparents Mm -hmm. that my mom is not there. Um, and I've not said, well, this is exactly what happened, but you know, that she was unhealthy and he's, you know, paged through our wedding album and Mm -hmm. in my wedding album, I'm probably about 40 or 50 pounds heavier. And he can see pictures of my mom, you know, just a few months before she died and how big she was. And so, you know, it's just an awareness that, um, I was different and he is just so smart. He just like picks up on the little things and you cannot get anything by him. So even if I tried to hide it, he would figure it out. Yeah. Okay. So talk to us about the weight loss program. And, um, I kind of love how you talk about it's, it's, it looks easier in the Instagram, like blogging world, like, Oh, I'm going to eat a kale salad and, you know, I'm going to do all the healthy things, but like, it's really, that's simple for me, but it's not simple for these people that you're working with. So talk about that. So the neighborhood of the YMCA that this is in is a very diverse neighborhood. And so the makeup of our group, um, 
is very ethnically diverse. Um, they have different cultural backgrounds where food plays a much different role in their lives, in their families, in their communities. And so they've grown up learning to eat a certain way, just as I grew up to learn. I mean, my way of eating as a child was different, but also in communities where maybe exercise was not supported or looking, you know, a certain way was not supported. And so they're coming in with doctors telling them that they need to lose weight so they can lower their blood pressure, reduce their risk of diabetes, or if they are already on medications for those chronic conditions, you know, manage them better, maybe get off insulin, reduce their medicine. And so, you know, kind of, we all have these bubbles. And so if we're kind of in Instagram, we see all these things as normal, but you go to the grocery store and at least in my neighborhood, cause I live very close to this YMCA. I shop at the same grocery store that these people do, or they're mostly women. We have like one guy, but it's all a bunch of women. So I feel so bad for him sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but we walk in and one of the first things you see, like there's the rotisserie chicken, but there's also fried chicken and you're, you know, met with the baked goods and the fresh bread and the cookies and the donuts. And that's where your eye goes. And, um, so they're fighting the convenience food. They're, you know, our grocery store significantly smaller than some of the ones in, um, what I would just call more white neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have like the Trader Joe's where we see some of these healthier foods made a little more convenient. And so, for them, they're buying what they know and what they've seen in the store all these years um, and doing it on a limited income because everyone in this program is required to qualify for financial assistance. And I think what makes the why so great is there are so many scholarship programs. So somebody who might not be able to join a traditional gym or afford um, boutique fitness classes, the why tries to make exercise and it's programs accessible. And so these people receive a complimentary Y membership um, to help make this, you know, at least a little bit easier. You know, they still have to do the work. They have to cook these meals. You know, they have to get to the Y and exercise, but they have a little more support as well. I love that YMCA. Yeah, it's so fun. I mean, for what us, Child Watch, Key, Oh yeah, you know, but it's a community as well, sure. and I yeah. think that in the class there's a community, but in the YMCA branch itself, they really rally around this group and try to make them feel supported and empowered to kind of reach those goals. Well, yeah, and you mentioned the support and like the culture. I mean, if you are surrounded by family members who think that this is this certain way to eat is just what we do, and it's leading you to continue down this unhealthy lifestyle, like that's your support system. So how do you kind of change that narrative? How do you, with your group, help change that narrative in their lives? I try to tell them that one, they are worth it. And what it's also okay to just not cook for them. You know, it's hard because I think so many of these people or sometimes we can get in these situations because we want to do for other people so much. They want to take care of their family. Sometimes they're taking care of grandchildren or, you know, nieces and nephews. And so their focus is always on the family. Um, but they have to learn that it's okay to put yourself first. So 
you know, even in my house, kind of like how you mentioned, I make what I want for dinner. And if my boys don't eat it, they don't eat it. Now, I don't send them to bed hungry. My grandma yelled at me for that. (laughs) So (laughs) like if they want to eat something different that I don't have to work to prepare, then that's fine. But when it comes down to it, I, I should get to eat what I want to. And I want to eat things that are good for my body. And that's what I try to tell them. If you want to do this for you, then let's do it for you. You deserve that. Um, we also try to connect them through Facebook and texting. Um, very early on in the beginning, I try to find them workout buddies. You know, so usually in the class, we have somebody who has participated in the previous year. So they've already found maybe some classes that they really like. So they invite somebody new to try that class. Or, hey, this you know, it's really hard to get to the Y in the morning. Well, this branch opens at 4 a.m. So there's, you know, we, I try to make it a way for somebody in their community to remove the obstacle because it's really easy for me to go up there and say, Hey, you know, just get up at 345 and go for a run. And they all look like I'm nuts. (laughs) So I try to find ways for them to help each other. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, you mentioned your grandma. Mm-hmm. And your grandma passed away last year. So let's talk about the role she pay- played in your life. And, you know, when grandma tells you something, you listen. You don't send those bed- kids <laughs> to bed hungry anymore. So talk about your grandma. So it was always, it makes me laugh because the rule in her house was the 11th commandment is grandma was always right. <laughs> and um, so, as I said, my childhood was kind of turbulent. And when I was 15, My parents were kind of in the middle of a divorce and I don't want to say things were dangerous, but it was not the best environment for me to be in. And my family chose um, for my brother and I to move in with my grandma. My brother eventually moved back in with my mom because that was a better fit for him. But so from 15 on, it was me and my grandma Mm -hmm. and she would never say I was her favorite. There's 15 grandchildren (laughs) and she always spread the love very evenly Um, but you know, it was just, she and I in her house together. And so she was really monumental and really just helping me through the grief process with my mom, um, and making sure that I felt supported and loved. Um, is this your mom's mom? It's my mom's mom. And so my mom was one of seven. And so I always had like lots of aunts and uncles around to help. And then my grandma as well. And so when I say I wanted to go back home, it was always to grandma. Okay. Uh, And Mm -hmm. my grandma was very supportive of me losing weight because she also recognized the importance of being healthy to avoid the health consequences that my mom had. And so she, um, she had also made some changes. She, when she was such a great role model because she found out She was borderline diabetic, probably in her 70s or 80s, and she made changes to her diet, and she was really proud that she never had to go on insulin, so she always was really able to manage it through diet, and she even joined water aerobics. I love old people in water aerobics. I just, it's my favorite thing. Yes. um, I loved my ladies at the Y, and it's such a great workout for everybody, but especially people who might have chronic conditions like arthritis where it hurts. And so, um, but she had eventually suffered some kidney damage from a medication and was on dialysis Mm. for 
three days a week for five years. And the doctor said she was the oldest person to be on dialysis that long. Wow. And so eventually she chose that she was, it was no longer worth it. And so, um, over the course of a month, we got, had the opportunity to say goodbye to her, but you know, that's been a huge challenge for me because I always felt like I had somebody and when she died, I felt like I lost my foundation. So your person, yeah, my person. Yeah. So, and you talk about how running kind of helped you through a lot in your life. But then when this happens, like you can't always rely on running, like running can be therapy. Running can be helpful, but like, it's not always your saving grace. No. I mean, when I was kind of going through everything, you know, it helped, it helped distract me. It helped me form my thoughts. Um, my family offered to, or gave me the privilege of saying one of the eulogies and I wrote it at, on a run. Oh, I love that. Um, But I think it all catches up on you because that stress, that, um, grief. And I, I heard this on a podcast somewhere that loneliness is like the new chronic condition. And, you know, in Instagram and social media, we can feel so surrounded by people, but then like day to day, like you can feel so alone. Mm-hmm. And I had some really amazing people and friends and my husband to help me through it, but I still felt that hole. And it took such a toll on me that eventually my running suffered. You know, you can only do so much until your body just says no more. Mm-hmm. So then what you, well, you went to run a marathon and you ended up not finishing. Talk about that process and how you kind of like handled going through that. Yeah. So, um, I trained in the fall for the twin cities marathon. I PR'd by like 12 or 15 minutes. Wow. Like I had this great race Congratulations! and I am thanks, but I didn't hit my time goal because I'm terrible at pacing marathons. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to build on this fitness. I'm going to come back. But then this winter was just so hard. I mean, weather-wise, a lot of people in the Midwest can relate. just terrible running temperatures. I don't think I ran outside except on the weekends for four months. But I really felt like the pangs of loneliness in that mm-hmm. time. And mm-hmm. especially in the lead up to the one-year anniversary, I could just feel like the loneliness was palpable to quote Carrie Bradshaw from my sex in the city fans. <laughs> and so by the time I lined up to that marathon, like I just felt empty. So I was running the glass city marathon in Toledo at the end of April. And from the get go, I just couldn't do it. And I kept trying to push myself and push myself. And I've been in some tough races. This was my seventh marathon. I've done a couple 50 K's like, you know, I feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm like, this is old hat. And yet (laughs) I've never felt this way in a race. And I thought about kind of pulling off at the, when the half diverted, I was like, no, you can keep doing it. Just get to this next point, get to this next point. Eventually you'll feel better. And my grandma was, um, a very devout person. And so I kind of would say prayers in my head to try to distract me or just say, come on, grandma, help me through it. Pick me up. And then at mile 17, I was walking through a water stop and a volunteer goes, are you okay? And I said, no. Mm -hmm. And she goes, what's wrong? I said, I just don't want to do it anymore. Like the thought of going nine miles 
just was so daunting. And it was just like, I think I had to stop the narrative in my head that, you know, one, I that I just, I didn't have to keep going the way I did. Like one, I didn't have to keep being lonely. I didn't have to keep being sad, but I didn't have to keep going to something that didn't feel like authentic because one of the things I struggled with so much in my training was identifying that why. And so, you know, a lot of times I want to reach this goal because of this reason. And I just, I couldn't pinpoint it. I was so distracted for lack of a better word by the grieving process that I could never feel that why feel that determination. I just kind of went through the motions And so by the time the race came, like I had nothing left to give. It's really powerful too. And I think that people sometimes like in that situation would be finishing for the external validation and like what you didn't need that. You know, when I stopped, I just started like hands down crying Yeah, and the volunteer just there was a volunteer. She stepped away from the water station and she waited with me until the medical, the only way to get back to the finish. I had a friend running the races. I had a ride in the medical vehicle, the sag wagon with people who were hurt. And I was like, I'm disappointing everybody. Yeah. You know, I felt like I was disappointing my husband and the people who thought that I had so much more and it was just devastating. And so I finally made my way the, race finishes in a stadium at University of Toledo and I'm just waiting for my friend and I I can't control the emotions and and this race has the most amazing volunteers and somebody else came up and noticed and she goes it's okay next year you can come back you can redeem yourself and in that moment I was like I don't need to redeem myself for anything yeah like I had a bad day you know maybe I've had a bad year but I still it's harder now, like if, you know, removed from the race, like I still tried, I still, I did a 51 mile training week. I still kept trying to put one foot in front of the other. And sometimes we just fall down and, you know, it's hard to get back up, but like sometimes you're just going to come back better. Are you still processing it? I feel a little bit better. So I, a lot of people ask me, are you going to sign up for a raise, try to build on that fitness? And I said, no, I'm done. And I like, I feel as if my grandma kind of told me something and she always said, you can choose to be happy. You wake up in the morning and you choose to be happy. And I think, you know, that's really hard when you're going through something tough because you really just don't feel happy, but I am choosing joy and I'm choosing fun. And so I'm just kind of turning my attention on doing things that, fill me up, you know, after feeling so empty, I'm just like filling up my bucket and running does fill up my bucket, but maybe that's not a 51 mile training week. Yeah. And (sighs) and marathons are glamorous, but maybe it's not a marathon, you know, like that's just, I think people get sucked into the marathon trap sometimes too. Definitely. You you know, and it's, you know, like another notch, like, Oh, look what I did, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I think sometimes I'm always looking, I don't always have the validation of like my parents saying, I'm proud of you. Or my, my grandma would have never to my face said, I'm proud of you. And so when I 
complete a marathon or set a PR, like I have people saying, I'm so proud of you or look at what a great job. And, you know, I think that's been something that I needed. And so, you know, it's fun to chase those big, shiny things. Um, But sometimes it's really fun to work hard for a 5k PR or last year I ditched the marathon and I focused on the half and I broke 150. So for me, like that was amazing. Um, you know, we all have our different levels of what fast is. And like, for me, that was a fast day. Yeah. So what was your first marathon? My first, did you run it in like 423 ish? Okay. 425. And what did you run last fall at Twin Cities? 356. Ooh, was that your goal to break four? Yeah. So I had a secret goal of hitting 345. Training was going really well. Um, but I went off too fast and I'm like, I'm either going to blow this out of the water <laughs> or I'm going to blow up. Um, but there are some really nice hills in Minneapolis yeah. around like 21. That kind of punched me in the gut. But um, I really rallied and I was really happy that like I just kept running like I was off pace. But you know, I really dug in. And so I think it can be hard too, because you see these things where it's like, I ran a four thirty, and then like next time I ran a three thirty. Oh, right. And I feel super excited for those people, but like sometimes the progress is much smaller and sometimes maybe I'm never going to run a three thirty, but I'm not going to say I can't. Right. It just might be a long way away. Yeah. I love though that you Like you were like, I'm either going to have a great day or I'm going to blow up because honestly, sometimes like, obviously we need to be smart with like not going out too hard, but like sometimes it is a great day and like, it might be the right move, you know, and you have to take chances sometimes. I'm just a firm believer in not counting yourself out. Like you deserve the chance to do better. Now, if I had gone out and ran like eight minute flat pace, you know, that would have been stupid, but I was within, you know, a goal and the, we had perfect weather, the crowd support in twin cities is amazing. And I just think that you should never limit yourself. Yeah. That's good. What's next for you now that you've, you're settling in on this, like feelings of, of what happened in, at, in Toledo and you're just doing fun stuff, right? We already answered yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like my coworker's definition of fun is different, but <laughs> I'm focusing on an Olympic duathlon oh, in Muncie. So it's a 5K run, a 40K bike, and a 10K run. Okay. So I still have like that endurance, but biking for me just like reminds me of my childhood. I don't necessarily know how to push on the bike. Oh, I don't but either. It's it just so hard. Feels super fun. Yeah. And then. I mean, I've told, promised my husband no marathons. Okay. Um, but last year, my friends and I were registered for a 50K that we chose um, to defer. So I might be registered for a 50K in November. <laughs> Does um, that feel different, with, though, than training for a marathon? Because it's like you're not trying to run super fast. Yes. And, like, there's something just so joyful for me to be on the trails. It's hard for me to run on the trails where I live. Yeah. Um. You know, I have to drive an hour to get to good trails. And when you're a mom of little kids, yeah. like telling my husband, well, I'm going to get up at this time. I'm drive an hour and then I'm going to run four hours on the trails because it takes exponentially long. Your pace is slower. And then I'm going to hang out with my friends. And then so I might see you at dinner. <laughs> like 
I mean, I'm sure he would be okay with it once in a while, but like not every day. Yeah, driving an hour. Yeah, that adds like to drive there for an hour and drive back for an hour. That my husband used to do that. He'd drive down to Morgan Monroe in Bloomington, and I'm like, okay, that makes your two and a half hour run like five hours. Yeah, (laughs) it's a lot. So, um, but with the 50k, we also have the option to drop down. They have multiple race distances. So I signed up for the biggest one just to give myself the chance if I feel like I'm ready for that training. But I'm also you know, leaving the door open to do something shorter and just enjoy time with my friends running. Cause it's really about having fun with friends and feeling good. Where's this race? It, I don't know where it's Ohio. It's, oh, it's called in Ohio. Okay. Fuzzy Fandango. It's about a two and a half hour drive for us. Okay, cool. Um, all right, let's do an end of the podcast questions. Okay. What is one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done yet that you'd like to do? Uh, I've always professionally, I think I would like to write a book. I've had people tell me I, as a writer, you know, the idea is maybe to go to fiction, but I would be interested in exploring my story in a longer form narrative. And then personally, I would love to do a destination racecation in another country. So maybe like the Paris marathon or, you know, Italy, somewhere fun with your husband or with friends. I mean, my husband can come, but he won't run. <laughs> um, question about the book, though, and you probably don't know the answer yet, but do you envision it being like a true story or like um, based on your life? Do you know what I mean? Like totally f- true or based on true story? I think it would have to be totally true. I think just w- I have a very conversational um, writing style when doing things like that, and I think that, um, it would be fun that way, but kind of from, you know, inspired by, I think there's also a sensitivity to my story. Like I never want to dishonor my mom's memory or, you know, you know, affect other people's memories of her because we all have a a different relationship with her. Mm -hmm. And so mine was so personal that I don't think it's fair to, you know, maybe her siblings, you know, to, you know, talk overly critical of her. Oh yeah, that's hard for sure. Um, my sister wrote a book about her husband's life growing up and, um, you know, she interviewed him and like all these different people in his life. And it was really hard for her to like, you know, like figure out a way to write in a way that wasn't offensive to people who played like some pretty negative roles in his life at points, you know? Yeah. And I think there's a part of me who's just scared to maybe approach the subject with my family too. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. I can imagine that would be really difficult. Um, but you have a really cool story and I think a really important message. Thank you. Um, okay. Write a book. Did we get to both of them professionally and personally? Oh yeah. And the runcation thing. Yeah. Uh, what is an accomplishment you're most proud of? I think, um, just, never giving up on myself. It's, you know, it's not like an event. Um, but you know, never limiting myself to what either other people thought of me or what I thought of myself and kind of turning the story around. That's good. What's the best, most recent book you've read? I'm currently listening to this book called emotional agility, um, by a South African psychologist. And 
I first heard about it on a marketing podcast, but she's talking about how to identify our values and our personalities so that maybe we don't always react in a negative way. So whether you're in the workplace or with family, I have a really bad habit, as I identified in the book, for brooding. Um, And so, you know, if something bad happens, like it's the story just starts to build and maybe that's the storyteller in me, but you know, something very small can become very big. And so trying to work through how to better handle those emotions, you know, when interacting with people or just in general. Ooh, that sounds important. Like we all need to probably read it. (laughs) Um, And the author reads the book. So I really enjoy her accent as well, which is not necessarily a reason to read a book, but you know. Well, if you ever write a book, I'm going to be really rallying for you to read the audio, by the way. Oh, thank you. I think the author should always read it. Like, I can't stand it when someone, there's a book and like it's somebody else's voice and the voice is annoying. I'm like, I just, I want to hear the voice of the writer. Yeah. I like, I loved when Tina Fey read her book, Bossy Pants, like hands down, hilarious. And yeah, would it just felt awkward if it was somebody else? Yeah. Because you understand kind of the story, the tone of voice and all of that that you were going for. Yeah. Like the tone you were feeling when you wrote those words. And especially if you were to write like a memoir type book. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the marketing podcast? It is called Story Brand. Oh, by I know Donald it. Miller. Okay. Yes. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No, you're good. Story Brand by Don- Donald Miller. Mm-hmm. I love that podcast. I don't know about his intros with JJ. They kind of take a while sometimes, but like his interviewing skills and like who he interviews are usually really good. Yes. I enjoy his podcast a lot. I listen to it for work, okay. but, um, like he had Willie Robertson from duck dynasty on and it was a really great like, oh, really? interview, okay. but he's had Rachel Hollis as well. And it was interesting to hear her kind of like from a different angle as well. Yeah, because I've heard her on a boatload of shows, but I don't think I've heard her on. Was she recently on his show? I think it was last year. Like okay. I've okay. gone back and listened to a bunch of his library. Okay. Yeah, he he has a great show. And he does. Have you ever been to any of his conferences or anything? Um, I like have my fingers crossed <gasps> that work will send me. Oh. But we have read my, read his book and, you know, really kind of reference it a lot that idea of telling somebody, not telling somebody a story, but inviting them into the story and, you know, helping them create a narrative, whether you're trying to sell them a product or help them do something, you know, it's so much harder for somebody to do something if you're just constantly coming at them with information. Yes. Yeah. He knows his stuff. Can you tell everybody real quick what, what you do for where you work again? So I am a marketing content writer for a manufacturer here in Fort Wayne. We make hot tubs and swim spas. So a lot of people know us because we've had a longstanding partnership with um, the world's best swimmer. Um, But yeah, it's a pretty cool job because I get to write about health and exercise and fitness um, and some other things. But, you know, I'm always looking for more ways to talk about it. Oh, nice. Here's the big one. What is one message you'd like to send to the world? I kind of think that my goal is for people to open their eyes 
lift your heart and just stand tall. So like we think of this like in running, like maybe we're new to running and we just want to stare at the ground because we don't want people to see us. We either aren't happy with the way we look or we think we're slow or we're afraid we're an imposter. And I think you should always just stand tall and look forward and, you know, keep your eyes. Well, I, when I taught fitness classes, I always said, keep your eyes on the prize. Mm. Um, but as a person, I think it's so important to open your eyes and look at people and try to at least say hi or smile. You know, you never know what they're going through, where they're at in their journey. You know, somebody might see somebody at the Y and judge them based on their size, but maybe this is really big for them. And by looking at them and smiling, like you're encouraging them or, you know, there were times when I was, you know, going through the grieving process with my mom and my grandma. And like, I had to do my best to wipe my tears before I would go into the grocery store. And maybe somebody looking at me and smiling at me was the only time I like felt a connection with somebody that day. And so always just trying to be that person for someone else um, is my goal. I love that. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. All right. Well, have a great night. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Kim, for coming on the show and sharing your story. You are making a difference in the lives of so many just by sharing your story. So thank you for that. Don't forget you can find Kim on Instagram. She's foot.notes. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And I'm on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on the show if you are enjoying it. That would mean so much to me. And find bonus episodes over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash lindsayhine. Thanks for being here. Can't wait to share a new episode with you next week. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.